you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I invite you to turn to um, the book of Ephesians. We've begun a study through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, we've also now have some Bibles that are in the seatbacks in front of you underneath. If you need to reach up and want to follow along uh, in one of those, please feel free to. And if you need a Bible, you're welcome to take one of those with you as well. Ephesians, we'll be looking at chapter 1, beginning of chapter 1. Some of you will be glad to know that the sermon this morning is going to be on one sentence in the Bible. Kids especially. Yeah. But to be fair, I must tell you, Nate, that it's the longest sentence in the Bible. Over 200 words in the original. And it contains some of the deepest, most profound, most glorious truths about God and the abundant blessings which He bestows on His people through His Son, Jesus Christ. Granted, the sentence, as we'll read in a moment, is broken up into a number of different sentences in our English translation. But in the Greek, the opening of Paul's letter to the Ephesians from verses 3 down through verse 14 are one unpunctuated, uninterrupted, breathless outpouring of praise and glory to God. And so I want, as I read it and we read it together, to hear it that way. And to give attention what, to, to what Paul, what, what overwhelms him and, and forces him into this, this outpouring of praise. So let's give attention to what God says to us and Paul writes for us and to the church at Ephesus. This is God's word for us. I'll begin in Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Father, this is your word and it is true and it does not go out and return void. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, 
that you would speak that truth to our hearts where we need to hear it. Lord, that you would fill us with awe and wonder and worship at the abundant grace and the blessings which you have poured out on your people in Christ Jesus. We ask that you would do this for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever been so excited, so overwhelmingly amazed at something or someone that when you went to tell others, it, it just, it just kind of came out as one long string, uh, stream of excited expressions? Maybe it was the first time that you fell in love and you went to tell a friend and you just went on and on in a, in a stream of consciousness about all the great things about this person listing off one detail after the other. Maybe you've been on an amazing trip and someone asks you about it and, and you just start going on reliving every single moment like you were there again until their eyes begin to glaze over. Children. Maybe you've uh, come back from a, a big birthday party of a friend and your, your parents ask you what it was like and you want to give them every detail about, about who was there without pausing. There was, there was Lewis and Sarah and, and Bobby were there and they had, they had cupcakes and ice cream and, they, and there was chocolate cupcakes and, and vanilla uh, cupcakes and, and, and Bobby got this for, and this and then we got this and you just go on and on with a flood of joy and excitement and wonder that you want to share. Well, that's kind of how it is with the Apostle Paul here as he's, as he's beginning this letter to the saints in Ephesus. He's, he's bursting with excitement and wonder and praise that he wants his readers, that he wants to share with his readers. And what gets, what gets Paul so excited? What gets him so worked up that he doesn't even pause for a minute with his pen as his thoughts pour forth Onto the paper, or I guess in the parchment, maybe in that day. But it's, it, it, is, it is God. And it is the vast abundance of His grace, the wealth and the riches of His blessing, which He ha has bestowed on Paul and on all those who are, as Paul says over and over again here, in Christ. And he begins this outburst of worship, worshipful praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Paul, as we saw last week, is ushering into this great treasure house of God's grace, rich with blessings too numerous for us to count. Not the, not the material and circumstantial blessings that we typically think of when we speak of being blessed by God, although those are part of God's blessings in our life. But here he speaks of uh, what he calls spiritual blessings, blessings of a much greater, deeper, eternal significance that touch at the very core of who we are and, and, and our, our need before God and whose realities extend beyond what we can see and hear and feel into the very heavenly realms where God is at work, working His eternal purposes to bring all things in heaven and earth under the Lordship of Christ Jesus. And as Paul gives praise and blessing to God, he begins to, to pour forth in a spirit of worship a litany of what we might call foundational blessings of the gospel. Those that are rooted in the sovereign purpose of God's will and are given for the, for the praise of His glory, as, as Paul 
repeat several times in these verses. Blessings that are ours from God the Father through our union with Christ Jesus by the presence and the power of His Holy Spirit with and in us. And we could spend many, many weeks mining each of the, the particular treasures of grace which Paul mentions in these verses. And there are plenty of men much, much wiser and, and more eloquent than I who have done so. But this morning, I just want to take them, as Paul gives them here, in one package. I want us just to, to, to go along with him and, and, and burst forth in glorious wonder and praise to the blessings which God has blessed us with in the heavenlies through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul begins by taking us right to the very first act of God's amazing grace to us. He says, God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And I want to submit to you that right there in those five words, He chose us in Him, lies the greatest, most solid foundation for your hope, for your security, for your salvation, and even your joy in life. What's Paul saying here? He's saying God's grace of salvation in your life, the assurance of His divine purpose and will for you, the pouring out of all His blessings and the fulfillment of all His promises to you in Christ are certain and they are trustworthy because it's all based and conditioned not on your choosing God, but on God choosing you. God set His sight on you. And when did He do that? Not after He created the world. Not after man fell into sin. Not after you were born or after you cleaned up your life or, or after you believed in Him. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what it says here. And that's what's affirmed throughout the Scriptures. Your salvation does not begin when you choose to believe in Jesus. A choice, by the way, which is very real and very necessary. But your salvation began and it was planned and purposed back before there was time or space or anything had come into being in the eternal counsel of God's will whose eyes saw your unformed substance before you even came to be. And He set His love on you. And he chose you as the object of His redeeming grace in Christ. Again, this is, this is not human speculation. This is, this is divine revelation from God. This is not a, a reactionary doctrine invented by Augustine or, or Luther or Calvin. It's the clear teaching of God's Word in both the Old and the New Testament. It's the repeated experience of those who are brought into covenant fellowship with God. Noah did not choose God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob did not choose God. Moses did not choose God. David did not choose God. The nation of Israel and the prophets did not choose God. The disciples did not choose God. Paul certainly <laughs> did not choose God. Now let me say that there are many sincere believers that wrestle with this and, and some that don't accept this. There are likely some of you here for whom the idea of God's choosing those whom He saves seems, seems harsh. It seems counter to grace. 
Some take these verses and others like them and, and they say that God does not choose particular people, but he, he chooses the church in general. Or that God chooses the means by which people are saved, namely in Christ, but not the, the specific makeup of those who are saved. Others say that, that before the creation of the world, God looked down the corridors of time and he saw those who would choose him and therefore he chose them. And I still haven't figured out how that one works. Now, now these views are, are put forth in, 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 good, in good intention and they try to preserve the, the reality of man's responsibility and free will, which, by the way, I believe election does. The doctrine of election does. But none of those views do justice to the repeated emphasis and clarity in the Scriptures that says God is sovereign over all things, including our salvation. Far from being an arrogant, prideful, spiritually demotivating boast of human speculation as many would see it. God's choosing us, or again to use the the theological term, the doctrine of election, is really one of the most humbling, grace-filled, spiritually motivating truths of divine revelation. It removes all ground for boasting. It reinforces the reality that, that salvation is truly all of God's grace and none of our merit. And that is why Paul puts it forward here not as an, an argument to be debated. You can find that over in Romans chapter 9 through 11. But as a, as a divine declaration of God's gracious blessing to be marveled at, to be rejoiced in, in Christ, in the bounds of eternity past, before anything was, according to the purpose of his sovereign will, Paul says, God chose you in Christ. Shows you to be holy and blameless before him. He set out a purpose to redeem you from sin. And before we have any claim on God, he stakes his claim on us. He picked you on his team. And he determined that he would redeem and restore us not only to righteousness through Christ, but indeed he would bring us into his family, which is where Paul goes next. He says, in love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. There it is again, that word predestined. But, but it's a word that speaks to, to God's purpose in choosing us. To, to the destiny that He has for us, if you will, which He determined beforehand would happen. And that is that we would be brought into His family through our adoption as sons. Author and teacher J.I. Packer calls adoption the highest privilege of the gospel. Jesus talks about the need for a new birth of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And it's true that we are, we are born anew spiritually as God's children. But there are certain elements of this, this idea of adoption that speak directly to the, to the great blessings of God's grace. One of those we just spoke of. Adoption is not the, the, the choice of the child, but it's the, it's the choice, it's the gift from the parents. Paul stresses again that it is God who predestined long before to adopt us as his children. And what motivated him to do so? Not out of any sense of of, of obligation, not out of his own guilt or, or pity or some need that he had, but simply in love. Simply in love. We've had the blessing 
here in our congregation of walking with with several of you families who have gone through the adoption process. And we know that it is not an easy process. But it begins with, with the parent's determination to welcome a child into their family. And that child, as much as they may desire to be adopted, doesn't make that determination. And while there are many factors and, and considerations that go into such a, a, a decision, the one thing that's been obvious to me in each of those cases is the underlying and deep motivation of, of love behind it all. It is love that drives the, the determination to do whatever it takes to see that child or those children brought into the family no matter what. I heard the story of a, a little adopted girl who wondered why she didn't look like her parents or siblings. And when they told her that she was adopted, it suddenly created great anxiety for her. She wondered about, about whether she had a place in the family until her father sat her down and looked her in the eye and said, we love you so much that we chose to make you our daughter, to bring you into our family. And our adoption in Christ flows out of that great love of God the Father. We don't have anything to offer. We do not deserve it. We can't make it happen. And yet God sets His love upon us and determines to make us His sons. <laughs> it says literally, predestined for sonship. And that truth applies to both men and women. Paul's language here is not accidental. He doesn't need a, 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 a gender sensitive, sensitivity training course. He purposefully uses this term, which in the culture that day pointed to the, to the status, to the rights, to the privileges that fell to a son in the family with all the privileges of being the, the heir. If a man had no heir, he could, he could adopt a, a young man into his family and bestow on him all the rights of son. And that's what Paul is picturing here. God, through our union with His beloved Son, Jesus bestows on us, male and female, all the blessings, all the rights, all the honors that are afforded, that were afforded to sons in that day. We are His beloved sons and daughters through His blessing. Through the blessing of His beloved Son, Jesus, Paul says. And so through adoption in Christ, we share in His sonship. In Him, we are made heirs of His kingdom and co-heirs with Christ. You're given a new identity. You're, you're given His name placed upon you. You are no longer a, a slave or a servant, but a, a son. And He pours out His love on you through His Spirit. He welcomes you into His presence anytime, as Tony mentioned earlier, to come. And sit down with Him. Behold what manner of love this is that we should be called children of God. And so we're chosen and adopted by the blessings of God's free grace. But that grace which is freely given to us comes at a cost. And in order to show His love in adopting us, God has to satisfy His justice in redeeming us. You see, in our sin, we are spiritual orphans. We are created for loving fellowship with our, our Heavenly Father, but we, we are separated, we are alienated by our rebellion, our guilt in sin. And unlike little children in, a, in an orphanage who long for and who, and who look for parents who will love them, 
We don't hold out our arms begging God to love us. We turn our backs on Him in sin. We run from Him. We seek love and acceptance elsewhere only to find that we remain slaves to sin. We remain guilty before God. We may we justly deserving His punishment and His abandonment because of our sin. But look at verse 7. Paul says, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. To redeem something is to, is to buy it back at a price. Children, you might think about it this way. You've, maybe your parents have come in and they're cleaning up your, your old clothes and your old toys and they put them all in a bag and they take them and give them away somewhere and, and you realize one of your favorite toys is missing. That happened to anybody? And then maybe one day you're shopping with your mom at Goodwill or some other secondhand store and there you see it. <laughs> that, that beloved stuffed animal that you've been missing and there it is and you go and you grab it and you take it up to the, the person at the counter and you say to them, this is mine. <laughs> I want it back. And the clerk says, sure, that'll be $5. Ugh. And then you realize that's all you have in your pocket. <laughs> you take out your $5 and you hand it to the clerk and you, you grab that stuffed animal and you, you hug it again. You have redeemed it. You have bought it back. And that's what Jesus does for us. He comes to redeem us from sin. But the wages of sin is much more than $5. The wages of sin is death. The buyback price, the ransom to redeem us from our sin demands nothing less than death. Indeed, it demands more because it demands the death of one who does not owe that price for his own sin. And so Jesus the Son of God, the sinless one, comes and through His shed blood on the cross, He redeems us. He takes upon Himself the wages of our sin, the just, the just wrath of God which we deserved. And he takes it for us. And thus, through Him, we are, we are redeemed, we are bought back, we have forgiveness for all our sin, past, present, and future, according to the riches of His grace. And we are set free and, and belong once again to God in Christ. He has chosen us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us and adopted us into His family. Can you see why, God, why Paul is overflowing with, with worship and praise? And in doing so, he brings us to another blessing of His grace lavished on us. And that is He makes known to us the mystery of His will. Paul's saying God lets us in on His plan and His purpose. He that He set forth in Christ. And that is that he is, he is uniting again all things in Him. Things in heaven and on earth. You see, God doesn't want to keep us in the dark. He doesn't hide from us what He's doing in the world. His, his ultimate plan and purpose for all of history. When Paul speaks of, of, of a mystery, he's speaking of, of something that was previously hidden as now is, is being revealed, is being made known. And he says in Christ, God is is unveiling to our eyes and to our minds to understand His ultimate purpose. And that purpose is to, to unite to Himself all things. 
That word there for unite in the Greek is anakephalao. It comes from the word kephalao, which means to sum up, to, to gather under one, one heading, one head. And the prefix ana, which means again. And so God's purpose, His, His will is that He is re- reuniting, He is regathering everything together. Once again, under the, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He is bringing about a renewal, a restoration of His kingdom, of all things in heaven and on earth, under the reign of His anointed King. And God, what God is doing is He's showing us the end game. He's let us in on how all of this ends. And so when we come to hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, we come to believe in Christ, our minds and our hearts are opened more and more to to hear and understand and trust in God's unfolding purpose and plan, which he has revealed through his word. And that purpose, as we'll see later on, is, is being worked out and demonstrated in the church where he is breaking down the, the walls of hostility, where he is bringing together people from from all different places and backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, and he's uniting them as one in the body of Christ through his unmerited grace. And our having been chosen by God and adopted as sons, redeemed by his blood, enlightened to his purpose, leads to the last blessing which Paul notes here. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined, Again, determined beforehand according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to His will. God has an inheritance for us. And how do we know this? Paul says because He's given us His guarantee. He has given us His Spirit as a seal and a a down payment, if you will. When you go to make a big purchase, a house or a car, you might, you might put a down payment, a guarantee on it, which serves as a, a means of saying, listen, I will come back and give you the rest of this later. And Paul says that when we hear God's truth and the good news of salvation, and, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is that guarantee of our inheritance until we ultimately acquire possession of it. A seal is something that's, that's stamped to give authenticity, to mark ownership. When a seal is placed on a document, it says, this is official, this is authentic, and anyone tampering with this is answerable to the authority behind that seal. And so when we receive the blessing of salvation and the hope that we have in Christ, the Holy Spirit enters in and serves as that assurance that the blessings of God's grace are the real deal. They are ours. The Spirit testifies to us that we are, we are indeed adopted children of the Father. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts and, and casts out all fear, assuring us of our redemption in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin and, and leads us to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit who fills us with the living hope that is ours in Christ, that we are again chosen and adopted and redeemed and heirs of all things and that we have an inheritance that is being guarded for us in heaven. And all of this is ours in Christ. In Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. 
according to the purpose of His will and the praise of His glorious grace. If you are in Christ, He has chosen you. He has adopted you. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has revealed His will, His plan, and His purpose, the end game to you. And He has sealed you with His Holy Spirit who lives now in you to bring you safely home. All these blessings are gifts of a sovereign and gracious God through His beloved Son, Christ Jesus. So have you heard God's truth? the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ as your only hope. If not, you're hearing it now. I said earlier that God's choosing does not negate our responsibility to hear and to respond to the gospel. We are called to come to Christ. We are called to repent and believe in His name. We are called to trust His sacrifice alone that we might be redeemed and forgiven and set free and adopted God's choosing us enables us to hear His Word and to understand His call to come and to respond in faith. So if you're here today and you haven't done that, Jesus says, come. Come to me. Follow me. In me are found the riches of God's grace, the treasure of every blessing that you can imagine. Do not remain a slave to sin. Do not remain a spiritual orphan. Come to Christ and be set free. Be received and adopted as His child. Be made heir to the kingdom and the lavishes of His grace. Enter into the blessing of God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. God has given us His Word and His sacrament as what we sometimes call a means of grace. And by that, we mean that through God's revelation of Himself in Christ, in the truth of His Word, and through the the receiving of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the blessings... And the benefits of God's grace in Christ, which which we have just been speaking of, are, are conveyed by His Spirit to us and in us. Through participation in the Lord's Supper, God signifies and seals to us once again the redemption that is ours through His body and blood shed on the cross. Here we are welcomed as family to the table, into fellowship and communion with our Gracious and loving Heavenly Father. Here we are strengthened. We are are nourished by Christ Himself. Who is the bread of life. Who is the fountain of living water. In Him our souls are satisfied with the richest of food. As with the richest of food. And here we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Having been made holy and blameless before God because of His righteousness which He has given to us in exchange for our sin, which He took from us. And here we get a foretaste, a look, an eager look forward to that day when we will be raised bodily with Christ and fully enter into the inheritance of His kingdom and the banquet of all His richest blessings that will be unending. Here Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. This meal is for those who have seen the depths of their sin. 
who have seen and received God's glorious grace and redemption in Christ and are, are joined together with Him and in fellowship with His people in the body of Christ. If you're here today and you're, you're not a, a follower of Jesus, or if you have not yet professed your faith publicly, or if you're here today and you're knowing and willingly clinging to some sin or, or, or broken relationship for which you are unrepentant, then Paul warns us not to partake of this meal in an unworthy manner, in unbelief, or in unrepentant sin. Rather, cast yourself on Christ and pursue reconciliation with God and with one another by faith in Him. But let us be reminded that we're all sinners. We're all unworthy in and of ourselves, save for God's sovereign grace and Christ's redeeming love poured out to us by His Spirit. And so for all who are His, Jesus says, come. Receive every blessing I have for you. Receive me. Let's pray together. Father, we do not presume to come to this meal trusting in our own righteousness. But we come trusting in your manifold grace and your great mercy to us in Christ. We are not worthy so much as to even gather the crumbs from under your table, but you, O oh God, ever love to show mercy, ever live to display your grace and glory, and ever desire to pour out every spiritual blessing to uh, your children in Christ Jesus. And therefore, Lord, we, we ask you that you would be present with us. Fill us with your spirit. Set apart these common elements of bread and wine to their holy purpose that we may, in, in eating and drinking, receive by faith the blessings and the benefits of, of Christ crucified for us. That in the power of, of His resurrection, we may be one with Him and that we may, He may live in us and we may live for Him who has loved us and given Himself for us and who will love us to the end. Father, we ask that You would do this for the praise of Your glorious grace in Christ. Amen.